Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to this segment on CTN. To learn more, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic for today is addressing the top three CISO challenges. So many years ago, CISO started as the guardian of the firewall. They had a defined perimeter. Today, you have anywhere and anytime data access as an imperative and thus the perimeter is blurring. The boundaries are becoming non-existent to some extent. And then you have issues with cloud environment. You're trying to call secured cloud. It sounds like an oxymoron because it's not easy to do so. And then and that the reason for that is people say that the cloud vendors are not providing enough visibility under the hood. And that's why it is challenging. Then you got to be able to get the right talent at the right time and deploy on the project so that you can tackle these challenges that security is posing every day. So how can a CISO, the Chief Information Security Officer, address these top challenges effectively? And to discuss that, I have my guest here is Dr. Pablo Molino, who's the AVP and CISO at Drexel University. Hey, Pablo, how are you? Uh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you very much for having me in the program. Thank you so much. So now let's let's talk about this discussion. When we look at the current state of security landscape, CISO's job has never been less than challenging. But do you think really CISOs have the resources, the wherewithal, and the exposure to be able to tackle what's been thrown at them from a security management perspective? Um, the answer is, of course, not. Uh, but uh, keeping aside, our key challenge, the chief challenge that we have is to translate information security into economic prosperity. We have to protect the people, the information, and the systems that are under our purview. So in order to do that, we have to join the executives of the organization, the staff members, as well as our strategic vendor partners in fulfilling the mission of the organization. We have to manage the risk, both the business risks and other risks. And also we have to make sure that both our constituents and the regulators that supervise our activities can trust our organizations. So to deal with that set of challenges with limited resources, evolving threats, and a complex regulatory landscape, uh, it's a master class in itself. Now, when when you're talking about where the whole security landscape is, one is to say this is what the perimeter is. That's what I would like to tackle first. We have a fort which has four walls, and you're supposed to take care of it. Well, it's a tough job regardless, but still manageable. But can you realistically have any control over a fort with no boundaries? Where do you start? How do you create some confines within which you operate? You cannot go and boil the ocean, right? 
So what's your or any CISO's approach be in this rather daunting environment? Uh, I think you, you hit the nail in the head in the sense that uh, in the old days when all we had to do is protect the perimeter and assume that the inside of the perimeter was safe, our jobs were relatively uncomplicated. Uh, whereas now we have uh, constituents who bring their own devices, we have a constellation of partners uh, in which the data sets could be in the cloud, could be internal, could be in third-party data centers for which we have trusted relationships. To do this, we must have pervasive security. We have to secure every data repository, every device on the network, every connection with the network, every user that happens to touch that information. And this is something that we can only do by making smart, purposeful investments in information and security technologies. And these investments are critical to our information security programs. Uh, for example, in our case at the university, we have advanced next-generation firewalls and supporting technologies that help us track some of our assets um, in the cloud and as well as what the users are doing with our networks and others in order to protect the community. So we combine this with our ability to respond to incidents because no matter what we do, sometimes we'll run into problems. And in addition to that, we invest very, very heavily on information security awareness training because in the end, we also must ensure that the human element, uh, the one that can decide what information to touch and what to do with it, is up to par, is fully trained and compliant with the regulations of our business. Now, whenever you are looking at things like boundaries, that's one thing. But then we also have to be able to figure out dealing with the crown jewels and even the crown jewels are morphing. So imagine a blurred boundary and, and what you're trying to secure is also fuzzy. Do you think we can at least get the, the crown jewels defined well? Because in many cases, what has been reported is that what is important also that definition is changing. So do you think your business leaders come and tell you every day and report to you that this is what I want you to secure, or you have to go chasing them? Well, not only we have to chase them, but to be honest, not even themselves know exactly what the crown jewels are. There are some uh, business savvy uh, executives and some members who can pinpoint what are the critical assets for the organization, but many others are part of the corporate knowledge, and no one person knows about that. So it takes a lot of effort, not only from the security department, but also from business partners, business owners, strategic vendors, internal auditors, regulators to identify which ones are those crown jewels that we're trying to protect. And you're absolutely right. This is the first step in order to protect something we must understand and realize what is it that we're trying to protect. Uh, oftentimes, this information is been known to business owners because it could be one of their partners who happens to be using technology or cloud services that are unrelated to the organization in which they're storing critical information. And most of us will not know about that until something wrong happens to that particular information. So indeed, uh, we're very happy to work with the strategic partners. We're happy to see how the technology evolved precisely to tackle this problem, but we're very far away from perfection and completion in order to be able to accurately and honestly state that we can keep track of most of the critical assets of the organization. 
Now, when you've tried to do all that you're talking about, one is, you know, what, what theory would say or what best practices somebody would say would work. When you've tried to do things with respect to maybe giving some shape or definition to the blurred boundaries or to try to stay on top of getting the crown jewels identified and have that updated list at all times, what all did you try to do that to get there and what worked and what did not work? Well, uh, what doesn't work, to be honest, are just a straight traditional practice of uh, submitting departments to internal audits once every few years. This doesn't work because business is much more agile than this. So the multi-pronged approach, on the one hand, it's critical to develop good relationships with business partners, staff members, and executives within the organization. It's also critical to develop strong relationships, honest and transparent relationships with our business partners, with those people who may be processing payroll for us or benefits or may be part of our strategic marketing campaigns to understand what technology they're using how well they're being custodians of the information. On top of that, believe it or not, we need the we need the lawyers because they're going to help us look through the agreements that we have with vendors and other parties and understand what is that the agreements are stipulating and what are the limitations and what are the responsibilities for those agreements. Where does the accountability, the liability, and the responsibility for any mismanagement of the agreement happens to reside? So those are the kind of things that uh, work best. What doesn't work is, once again, every now and then, there's a very entrepreneurial business owner who decides that he or she can do everything, uh, you know, or overcoming any uh, policy guidelines for the institution, overcoming the standardized business rules because that person happens to think that there's a more agile way of doing it. And oftentimes that approach could backfire because uh, the person in mind did not have in mind the risk profile of the initiative that they were taking. Now, let's look at the next level where you are trying to see if there is a way to manage security within the cloud. A lot of companies say that when it comes to cloud and then you say you want to have security in the cloud, that looks like a pipe dream. And that's where it becomes a big challenge is because the vendors may not allow you to look under the hood and or the cloud space itself is morphing. So you would not know what to secure and then they could fundamentally change the architecture, the way the things move, the way the, the frameworks that they're using and if they have really embedded security in the way you want to see embedded in it so that it's inherently secure. So what do you think is uh, the, are, there, are the options available for the CISOs? Because you're totally not in control of that environment which your business wants you to use. And they want you to take the responsibility of such an issue. What, what, what are you doing regarding that? Well, I believe that cloud services are both the best and the worst thing that happened to information security. It's the best thing because the major cloud providers have the resources, the knowledge, and the economies of the scale to really secure those data centers in ways that we cannot even secure ourselves independently. 
Now, it is the worst precisely because of what you said, because there's no transparency or accountability. If one of the major cloud providers is not doing its job securing the information, there's no way for me to find out about it until it is too late. So this is why we follow a three-pronged approach when it comes to cloud services and information security. So first, we demand more accountability, transparency, and functionality from the major cloud providers. Second, we rely on third-party tools and services to secure our cloud resources. Many of these tools are less than perfect, but they help us get closer to securing these cloud environments, to auditing them, to be able to prove to compliance officers and regulators that we're doing our jobs. And third, we partner with our in-house technologies, as well as partnering with the strategic vendors to use the cloud responsibly, to make sure that when they configure cloud services like uh, data buckets and processors, that they're doing so in a responsible way that they follow security by design, privacy by design, and also responsible computing practices. By using this three-pronged approach, I would argue that we're able to not secure 100% of the services that we use, but certainly achieve a level of risk that is consistent with other risk levels that we have in any business or organization. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back and dig further in this whole cloud area, just because we mandate to cloud providers, we need them as much as they need us. So not sure if there is a true dictatorial approach to managing the cloud vendors and have them do things the way we want them. Similarly, they are not showing um, as much a cohesive approach working with the, the different customers they want to serve because they have their own personal interests or their own business interests to handle. So that's not a straightforward problem. What is being done in that regard so that both parties, the customer and the vendor, start feeling good enough about the relationship that they're both willing to yield and come up with a level of security so that both parties can sleep at night? What is to be done? We'll discuss more when we come back. Please stay tuned. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, in the first segment, we discussed about areas related to the overall security landscape. How are we handling it? Then we spoke about the different areas related to blurring boundaries. The perimeter is, is becoming fuzzy, and we do not really have a good handle on, on the defined boundaries within which we would operate. And then the, we spoke about the crown jewels, which we are not clear about as much. 
Now, the, the next thing that we are going to talk about, and to some extent, Pablo, you had shared your insights about how we can handle the cloud environments, which have been very challenging because the cloud vendors may not always allow us to look under the hood. So while you provided some insights, we'd like to talk about a little bit on the the varied business interests we as an enterprise may have and a cloud provider may have. They may have their own approach to how they want to do business. They need us and we need them. How will we have the meeting of the minds that both parties work together versus butting heads? So to discuss that, uh, we have Bharat Soni, who's just joined us, who is the CISO and DPO at GT Bank. Hey, Bharat, how are you? Hi, good. Hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. All right. So, so the question for you is, what do you think you can do with a cloud provider who you want to work with to make your overall infrastructure secure or overall environment secure, but they want to do things their way? And yes, they would be willing to budge, but not a whole lot because they come with an airtight contract and they want you to work with that. And they really don't want to you know, be strong-armed into doing things your way. What have you tried to do in that regard? What worked and what did not work? Okay, so I think this is the question of time that how we can both work in hand-in-hand with uh, like the organizations and uh, cloud providers. Both can go hand-in-hand together for a mutual benefit agreement. But yes, uh, you know, uh, from an organization perspective, I would say that uh, we require them for a very fast growth environment and everything. So, so they also require the organizations to be on that platform. So they both a handshaking thing. But from an organization perspective, I will talk uh, from our own perspective that even we are on cloud for having our own infrastructure. We, for example, we are a bank. So we are bounded by certain regulatory requirement, compliance requirement, or law of the land kind of thing. So in that case, the cloud provider should understand that, yes, if they are having their own contracts, they need to be flexible enough to accommodate the organizational mandatory requirement for a bank. Like in Nigeria, we are uh, under Central Bank of Nigeria's uh, uh, regulatory requirement. And, and, and if I want to extend it further, let's say that we are under GDPR or in a local environment, we have now a Nigerian data protection uh, regulations. So we are under those boundaries and we have to comply with them, even if you go cloud. So for me, uh, as, as a organization, definitely we need to agree on our contracts or scope of service areas, uh, what we want to cover. We have to define our policies, who is responsible for what. What is the area a cloud provider is going to uh, cover? What is the area the organization is going to cover? Who is accountable for what kind of response? Accountability has to be defined very clearly. And, you know, uh, ultimately, uh, if we leave, uh, there's another major issue when we talk about cloud environment. That is the identity and access management part. So in the cloud environment, they the organization plays only the logical uh, identity and access management policies, accountability. But the cloud provider will play for logical and physical access accountability both. That has to be clearly identified. Logs has to be traced out. Any malicious activity has to be 
on a real time agreement uh, real time alert kind of thing and from an organization perspective we need to define the value of our data and the cloud provider need to understand that if who is responsible for that particular breach and then we need to agree on one things so it, it also goes to the like risk of lack of controls lack of visibility into the data and many other things so for me uh, both the organization and the cloud provider has to agree on these things and then tighten their uh, contracts so bharat your response is well taken now pablo coming to you as i had in fact uh, challenged your response as well that uh, bharat says they have to but what if they don't want to because we have always had that tussle right between the cloud vendors and the enterprises that you want to strong arm them into doing things what you want but they say no we will not so there are two things that have worked very well for large education institutions in the united states uh, like drexel university uh, number one competition this is a very competitive marketplace uh, it is true that most of us will consider only a handful of cloud providers but even within those there's heavy competition when you're negotiating with amazon or ibm or uh, microsoft in order to place your cloud service um, agreement um, so that would be the first part you can negotiate one company against another in order to reach the level of satisfaction with the agreement that uh, you're seeking uh, the other thing that we have been extremely successful doing in higher education in the united states we work in consortium we work together with other universities uh be just as a friendly agreement uh between universities that are in the same academic ranking or maybe in the same geographical area or maybe a university that are member of internet too as part of a research institution and we act as a group we pull together our uh CIOs CISOs our legal officers and we negotiate with the companies this was particular for example when we moved our email services to either a gmail or office 365 so those of us who had hospitals needed a special business associate agreements to deal with hipaa data and the companies neither google nor microsoft were willing to offer those for us so we pressed and we pressed until we were able to get those agreements in place so i think there's safety in numbers competition is good but also the larger the organization or the um alliance of organizations that is negotiating the higher the probability that we're going to get the type of contracts and the type of visibility that we're looking for now that said so now let's let's move on to the next question which Sorry, is related I, to, I just want to i just want to add a point over here and i agree with pablo for one thing that uh, yes when there is a generic requirement as you mentioned that for example if you are going for office 365 or maybe gmail cloud or azure uh, sorry uh, amazon cloud that thing will be applied but every organization has its own separate requirement and uh, in those kind of separate requirement obviously you need to have an agreement with the cloud provider when there is no competition uh, i can give an example that for example i have in a banking uh, domain if i want to go for a a uh, card solution uh, which prevents uh, card fraud i have my own requirement they may not fit into different uh, software providers and hence we need to go for our specific cloud service provider and then we need to negotiate and agree and 
just to add up to this thing like what uh, we also do this kind of thing like we have siso uh, communities of siso community over here in in nigeria and we try to negotiate on the base of all banks to one single provider it, it reduces the cost it gives us more, more control over the service services and obviously at the end everyone is uh, into a win win situation one single contract applied to the bank industry kind of thing Yes. All right, sure, sure, totally get it. So, so let's let's do this. So, let's move on from the cloud conversation because this can be a very interesting one. Let's talk about the changes that you have to bring about with respect to the cloud providers. When you talk about the kind of contracts, I know we spoke about about this a little bit, where we said we will have them put this term in that term, but then. the compliance mandates that we have that compliance mandate is on you and so pablo question for you so if your organization is governed by a compliance mandate and if any business wants to like any cloud provider wants to work with you and the compliance mandate related changes you request them doesn't go well with their business are they still ready to bend over backwards to accommodate you because i'm sure that is the condition of them doing business with you is that how the world is working today because we hear otherwise so the the world works somehow like that and it doesn't work 100% like that but once again i the power of numbers there are about 5500 higher education institutions in the united states and most of us are regulated in very similar ways either the department of education our state departments as well as whether or not we have hospitals or other activities that could be especially regulated so the big cloud providers know that if they want to do business with a university like mine they also want to do business with many similar universities so if they close the door to mine they're closing the door to uh, hundreds of other clients and this works to our advantage particularly so whenever we work through a collaboration a consortium or maybe an alliance Uh, what we do many of us and we've done this through an organization that uh, looks at the information technology in higher education called Educos we all share a vendor assessment program so we take a look at our vendors and we run them through a very uh, exhaustive tool uh, regarding their information security and privacy capabilities and we ensure when we select these vendors using the evaluation tool that the vendors have information security and privacy by design in mind and that they follow responsible computing principles. And these vendors realize if I do well with this form for Drexel University, then I can do very well with this form for other universities that use the very same form. Be that um, Harvard University, Stanford, Washington University, Georgetown University. So it's to their advantage to really uh, find a flexible way to do business with us. Now, every now and then, there are ways when there is a discrepancy, and the companies are not willing to do something, perhaps because they themselves have a competing regulatory mandate. And in those cases, we find ourselves that we cannot do business together. Uh, this doesn't happen often, but it happens every now and then. Now, let's talk about the talent, right? Security talent. go and talk to any ciso and they will say that i wish i could have three times the talent i have today and not only in terms of numbers but also in terms of the quality and the variety of different things you want to tackle 
even getting right type of help from outside services, even MSSPs, which is managed security services provider, that's been a challenge too, because nobody can claim that they have it all so that they can tackle all kinds of problems. So eventually you're trying to build a talent capability in security and it's been daunting. What is being done so far? What has been done so far? What has worked? What has not worked? What is your holy grail of a good talent management framework for security or, or, or a team of security that will work well for you? And how far are you from building that ideal team? Let's discuss all that when we come back from the break. So please stay tuned. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, Bharat, when we look at security talent, it can be very expensive. And we have a huge amount of demand, which we are not seeing getting, you know, handled and or getting fulfilled by no matter how many security, you know, uh, the the consultants and and professionals who are in the uh, in the market today. So with this gap, you cannot go ahead and commit to the business that you got security covered because without people, how would you do that? Tools cannot do almost everything. So, so what's your solution? What have you tried to do to tackle it? What worked, what did not work, and where are you struggling? Okay, this is uh, something, you know, uh, a very, very challenging question even to answer or to conclude things. Obviously, you need to keep trying, like how we say that every day is a challenge and you need to overcome. So the talent pool in information or cybersecurity is a very big challenge. And you need to just live it every day. Uh, in, 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 in terms of, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, skill gaps and everything, the basic, uh, what I understand or what my thought process is, we still need to look into our education system, first thing first. Uh, there is no reason to say that there is an unemployment is a reason or something like that in today's cyber security, information security domain. The problem is the basics. If we have these kind of educational courses or degrees, obviously these are coming up, but we are already late. You know, the world is moving from A to Z and we are starting from A. So that's the time gap. First thing first, my understanding is we need to start from the basics. It, it's a, a social, uh, this thing, uh, impact. Maybe the government should look into improvising on the educational system what is required for future. Then I also say that, uh, you know, once you have a, a, a 
trained something always trained when we talk about our security or technology domain we say that it keep changing every minute every second the technology changes but how fast we are changing are we keeping our employees trained so when we talk about training it does not go only for the trained staff when we talk about training it's not that uh, i have i have for example let's say this into my into my team the other part of this thing is what about those people who are non technical but still a business are your business user aware about the basics that's the awareness part of it so you need to keep a balance between you know the awareness part and the technical training part of both the sides technical team has to be trained day by day every every challenge into uh, every change into the environment they need to be upskilled to that particular level and another part is the people who are actually using the application are they aware about the basics or not this is what my thought process is so pablo when you look at your university and of course you may have a certain scope but then you're also talking on behalf of many other cisos who may come from different industries some have more pressing needs for security others don't they have some some industries have a lot of money to pay to security people others don't and i understand at least that your background like your university background may not be the biggest paymasters so that's just one constraint so 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 say let's start with what your environment is if you had to build an ideal team what would that look like and how far are you from it and what are you trying to fix it well i i like to start by saying that uh, as the politician benjamin israeli once said there are three types of lies which are lies dumb lies and statistics so by many estimates there are three unfulfilled cybersecurity jobs worldwide Uh, we don't know the exact number, but we know there's a lot of unfulfilled positions. There's certainly a lack of uh, talented people in order to fulfill those roles. So what I do myself, I scout for talent, for diverse talent, and I do it constantly. And the way I do it is because I speak widely on college campuses, including my own, and at major conferences, either as a faculty member or as a guest speaker. And I use these opportunities to spark interest among new generations of knowledge workers uh, in information security. So not only I'm trying to attract more people to the profession, and I'm particularly focused on these people being women and minorities, which are very underrepresented, but also I'm interested in having people switch careers. I address uh, electrical engineers, computer scientists. I address even criminology students. And I tell them, please consider careers in cybersecurity. Not all of them are 100% technical. Some of them have to be with analyzing information, with uh, supporting products, with working with the end users. And once I get these people, which I recruit, as you pointed out, for lower salary than the market is willing to pay, because we're, after all, a nonprofit uh, institution, then I train those people. I pay for their certifications. We have mentoring programs. We work with some of the vendors that we use uh, who provide the security products that we use every day, and we train the people and certify the people in all of those disciplines. And it's very interesting. Oftentimes I have to fight with boards of directors or finance committees because they tell me, Pablo, if you train the people, then they're going to be fully trained and they will leave. And my counter-argument has always been, listen, worse 
than training people and having them leave is not training people and having them stay unable to do their jobs. So I do all of these things, and I'm also very active with, for example, the Hispanics Executive Technology Council to bring a new pipeline of Hispanics into the profession, as well as groups like the Women in IT Group at Drexel University or the Philadelphia Women in Cybersecurity Group. And on top of that, many universities like ours, Drexel University, like uh, George Washington, Georgetown University, through the CyberCorp federal program, we're trying to train next generation of students so that all the companies and all the government agencies that need that talent can finally access uh, those U.S. citizens who are fully trained. So one is for Pablo for us to say that, okay, let's find any and every source from where someone who can spell security, we could hire them. But here it's not a matter of numbers alone, right? Because we are dealing with people who are very well funded, much better trained, and you want us to find someone who may have done some security to come and, and play a match and win in the match against those those people who are trying to cause us harm. What, what, what do you think? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, just to add a point, like how you put it is very right that everyone, the point at the point of need, someone is always going to pay higher. So you cannot say that I will always keep a person into my pool or secure the person based on maybe a salary, uh, maybe a good uh, pay kind of thing. What I believe in it, I'm giving you a practical uh, example of my own environment. You have to adopt a very conducive environment. People, even before jumping for higher salary, should think of the environment whether they are going to get this same kind of environment at the other place or not, because I have seen into my own environment. Even, I'm not saying that I have I have been able to mention 100% skills or talent into my own uh, team. The problem is, obviously people will jump, but when they go out and see other environments, they always fall back. I receive calls that, okay, can I come back? I don't want higher salary, I want a healthy environment. So, uh, obviously, that needs to be built as a culture into the organization and the team itself. So, apart from salary, training, and everything, if you have very conducive environment, that that really matters. Um, I agree so, with with some of those statements, and I also uh, would like to add the following: that you're absolutely right. You need to be able to do more than spell the word security, and this is why we train people who have at least the intellectual ability a certain experience and education in order to be able to build their security skills. But it so happens that some of the most difficult skills to acquire uh, are only acquired by a handful of people. And these people are working for very, very top dollars for some of the best security companies. So when that is the case, and I need that kind of talent, I hire companies because I can have the economies of scale. If I need an expert who's going to help me address a nation-state attack from, let's say, a Russian group. Um, I don't need that person full-time, 24 by 7 in my operation. I need to be able to work with one of the companies that has access to those people and then use that person's talent maybe for a few hours once a year. And this is precisely what I do. I build my own in-house team members, and for the rest I leverage some of the really gifted vendors that are out there in order to deliver the security services that I need to deliver to my community. Now, 
when we look at what all we do with the talent or we do with cloud vendors or we do with the perimeters, all of that is there. Now, security is also a change management issue. Because at the end of the day, you will have all of these pieces come together and eventually you will have uh, at least done the execution part well. But then see, it's the CISO has to be able to figure out how to set and then manage expectations above them and below them and also the people who are peers to you. So what do you think? is the type of improvement you would want to bring in yourself as a CISO. I'm not saying you, Pablo, or you, Bharat, and maybe both of you included, so that you can do your jobs well and able to deal with these three top challenges that we discussed today. So, Pablo, starting with you. Um, so, I'm going to say that uh, I think this is critical for any CISO, including myself. And what's really important is that we need to be able to speak several languages. And by several languages, I mean the business language, the technology language, and the security and uh, compliance languages. Because we need to be able to bridge uh, the chasm between business owners and regulators and also help understand how our role supports the mission of the organization. So in order to do that, we need to establish a strategic relationship with the executives, with the staff members. We need to get buy-in from the community. We need to educate all of our constituents, including our customers, to not fall for scam, to do the right thing. We need to have allies within the public sectors so that they are not the ones who are circumventing the security procedures because they realize they are the most important assets that we need to protect against things like business into compromise or at the entrance of a ransomware or malware to the organization. So once we have that kind of trust within the community, that they realize we're not there to make their jobs difficult, but we're there in order to make sure that they can fulfill their mission, to provide economic value to the organization through solid information security, is when we can be very, very successful. And one of the things that we must do ourselves in order to achieve that is to be constantly learning new things, new regulations, new laws, new attack vectors, new defenses, uh, new ways of doing things. I, for example, happen to be right now in a Fulbright scholarship in Switzerland learning more about big data, artificial intelligence, and information security. Did I know a lot about this before? Yes, I did. I have master's degrees and doctoral degrees and certifications, and yet I have to spend time learning more because I don't know everything that I need to know. Bharat? Okay, my thought process also uh, aligns with what Pablo mentioned. The first thing first I understand is this, the role of CISO is now changing. You know, CISO in earlier days, there was no CISO at all. It was just a network engineer or maybe a, a firewall engineer. So from the data center role, now going back to the boardroom is a totally different ballgame. You as a CISO. The CISO should be, a, the CISO now is in a, a, a leadership role. The person should be very agile. And as Pablo mentioned, communication and the business understanding is the key. Let me give you an example around this thing. So for example, if, I'm, if I want to communicate to my board that I want, a, for example, DDoS protection, they will say, what is DDoS protection? What is the harm into it? If you don't do it, what is the next level or what, 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 what can go wrong? So I should be able to communicate that if a DDoS attack happens and if my 
mobile services are down or if my uh, internet banking is down through the transaction revenue i am going to lose x number of or x thousands of dollars in a minute or in an hour and hence we need a protection at ddos level so the language or the communication is getting to a very uh, is the key aspect of a cso's requirement these days obviously you need to also understand that when sometimes business will say okay the economy is not going good we have some issues we need to move ahead from this thing there should be a handshake okay you cannot secure everything but can you secure your most critical as if you are subjecting into things cso is not only a role of uh, you know taking care of information security or cyber security assets in the cso is dealing with the uh, 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 dealing with both external parties internal parties when we talk about external parties it's all those malicious users hackers and on top of it you also need to deal from the compliance perspective with the regulators the land of the law if anything happens you will be the first one to be you know carried into the line of battle and from internal if you are not securing because i have seen in, in typical environment in banking environment people rather than looking for phishing which is now every bank has been secured uh, by and large they are now having a targeted spear uh, phishing attack now, if the user are not in control properly and if are, for example you are doing some awareness awareness has to be also measured so cso should have a overall 360 degree, uh, you know view for the organization communication both internal external top level and the smallest level even you can go the cso should go and tell uh, a cleaning boy that what you are doing if you can do this thing then you can save the organization because this when you are cleaning don't put any devices into a into a, a cpu or a laptop if you see someone doing this report it so those kind of communication should happen so that that's what my On behalf of the show and our listeners, thanks so much, Bharat and Pablo, for sharing your thoughts and insights about how CISOs can gear up, look at what's going on, take a step back, build a good plan, and execute so that you can effectively tackle the top three security challenges. So thanks so much again. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. And listeners, hope you enjoyed, yeah. got some nuggets out of Thanks. this. Please like us on Facebook, search for CTN, uh, and be sure to follow us on Twitter and join our LinkedIn group. Thank you again for listening to this segment on CIO Talk Network. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit ciotalknetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.